music you're listening to is called Chill Wave by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com, which is where I get most of the music that you see in my videos and here in these podcasts. And I'm very appreciative of the work that Kevin McLeod does. And today, what I'm presenting to you, very happy to finally have this one all edited and ready to go, is a conversation that I had with Tom Foolery of the International Space Station, a YouTuber who some of you will already be familiar with. Well, I had a conversation with him about the middle of November of this year, a few weeks ago, and we discussed a range of topics, probably one of the most far-reaching conversations that I've had in the three or so years that I've been doing this. And we started off talking about Tom's experience with the so-called truth movement, how he got into making YouTube videos in the first place, and some work that he's been doing recently to basically flip the script in a way. Instead of using technology to complain about the system, or instead of trying to get away from technology as if that's going to make anything better, what he's trying to do is use technology to have some fun, have a few laughs, and maybe by doing that, share some ideas that are worth people considering. And I personally think that is the right attitude to have because I've previously been under this notion that sitting around and complaining about the world might somehow make it better. But actually, the opposite is true. Getting active and trying to do things that are creative, trying to make ourselves laugh and to make other people laugh, it's good for us and that can be good for other people as well. And that's exactly what Tom Fullery is doing with his YouTube channel. So we recorded a show about a year ago called Metafay, the only official episode that I released of Metafay because Tom and I did first cross paths, I suppose, as a result of that flat earth thing that took over the internet a few years ago. So we do discuss that at the start of the conversation, but quickly we move on to other topics. And by the end of the chat, we've discussed not just the history hoax and the war hoax, but things to do with what's actually going on in this world today? What is it that happens beyond this? And is there any clues being left for us as we speak that maybe it's right in front of our eyes? So it actually gets a little bit philosophical towards the end as well. So we cover a whole range of different hoaxes and in particular, we focus on Tom's experience trying to talk about these things with his YouTube channel. So what we'll do is I'll leave it there for now in terms of my introduction. We'll jump straight into the conversation and we'll pick it up from where I've just asked Tom to explain a little bit about himself for those who are not previously familiar with him. But before I jump into the conversation, I'll play a quick clip from a recent video that Tom released where he went out to a protest dressed as the bylaw man and had some interesting things to say to some of the protesters. I'll play that clip now and then we'll go straight into the conversation. And I'll see you at the end. Is this your child, sir? It is, yes. Does she uh, have the chip? You know the chip, the tracking chip? No. No. Are you aware of the Good Parenting Act of 1984? Okay, well, sir, you need to be more aware of the laws that we have in place here in Canada. And this will be a verbal warning today. But um, I want to make sure next time you're in the park, your kids are on a leash and you have the chip, all right? Sorry? The authority. The authority. The world. The new world order. Big brother. It's a requirement now. I don't know if you know, but uh, it's mandatory. Yep. It's mandatory for all kids to be on a leash. 
kids on leashes, yes, in all uh, in all open spaces. I straight check it Okay, I'll, uh, I'll go check for it. I'll look for it. I'll make sure I got it. Take it easy, ma'am. Uh, yeah, so uh, thanks for having me, John. Um, my name's Tom Foolery, and um, I started on YouTube uh, about two years ago, uh, right around uh, Mark Sargent's uh, Flat Earth Clues uh, became popular. I first, I first heard about him on... Um, uh, coast to coast AM. That was my kind of my first experience um, into flat Earth. Like little dip my toe, and uh, I found like with Mark there wasn't really like a whole lot of substance there. Like it was good, it was interesting food for thought, but but for me I was looking for like actual uh, some evidence and some proofs. So um, that sort of led me to Eric Dubay and. Um, some of his claims that uh, uh, like when a ship goes over the horizon, all you got to do is get your camera out and you just zoom it right back in. So I, uh, I saw a few videos like that that were at the time for me pretty convincing, uh, which led to some of my own experiments uh, over water. And um, my first time out, I was pretty convinced the earth was flat. It was uh, seeing is believing. But the second, third time I repeated the uh, experiment, light was acting in different ways and I was seeing uh, obstruction. And uh, that sort of made me question Flat Earth more. And, um, you know, as time went on, there was more things that just kept coming out, like uh, the southern southern celestial stars nobody was denying anymore, except for uh, Eric Dubay. And um, I found myself in a position where... I could keep believing in flat earth based on uh, like slogans and uh, or I could be honest with myself and kind of say like a lot of this stuff, they're not proofs of anything. So that uh, that led me into sort of looking into them a little bit more, being more critical. I made uh, As the Potato Turns and then me and you, John, we had a, a chat. And we sort of talked about uh, everything that I'm saying. Uh, we went over in more detail. So maybe the listeners can go check that out if uh, they want to hear more. Well, I highly recommend they do. And just on As the Potato Turns, I'm sure many of the listeners will be familiar with this series, but just as a basic overview, what you've done is taken some of the more comical nonsense from the various Google Hangouts involving the big names in YouTube Flat Earth, and you've put together almost like a mock Days of Our Lives series with you as the narrator and I didn't get a chance before we recorded to go and find out how the view counts are going but one or two of those videos did take off and get thousands of views didn't it um yeah like uh, the uh Antonio Subrats tells all episode that's probably like the most comical there's uh it's not so much me but it's just Antonio has some uh, great comedic gold in there like he says some some pretty funny things and then just add it in with my comments and stuff. That's prob- that was probably one of the most popular episodes until he's he started with this whole tranny stuff a couple months ago. I decided, like, I thought after me and you did our interview, I was like, you know, I'm done with making As the Potato Turns. Like, it's, you know, I feel like it's sort of captured the history of sort of what's been going on with Flat Earth for new people to not fall into the same trap that I fell into. 
Sorry, I should just say Sorry. for the listeners, this is not going to be uh, another podcast about Flat Earth, but that is the common bond that we have. It's how we first uh, did our first interview together, was the following your series as the potato turns. And I guess the highlight for me was that you were open. You say that you kind of bought into Flat Earth a little bit, but eventually you pulled yourself out of it. And of course, one of the main marketing gimmicks, one of the main slogans is, once you go flat, you never go back. But actually, that's not true. There are many people like yourself who identified as flat earthers, but then eventually saw the problems with this belief system and then even made videos, not just pointing out the problems, but I guess mocking the whole uh, so-called movement altogether. So while we don't plan to talk about flat earth too much in this episode, we can't help but use it as a basis just to give listeners an idea of how we came to be doing what we're doing. So you put together your How the Potato Turns series and like I said, some of those videos have thousands of views. We did our Metafay episode one episode maybe late, was it late last year, early this year? So the best part of 12 it, months ago. And it was about a year ago. About a year ago. And once you got the taste of making YouTube videos, I guess your channel was there, it was ready to go, which led eventually to you putting together this By Law Man series. So can you talk us through that a little bit? Uh, we'll talk more about By Law Man in a moment, but just quickly what the idea behind by law man is there yeah for sure so after our interview like i said i thought i was pretty well done with as the potato turns and making like uh debunking videos about flat earthers because uh i realized going through that that i don't need to like when i first started on youtube it was a lot for me it was like peer review you know so i wanted to sort of put out my experiments and get feedback to see like is do you know what i mean kind of use that system as a as like a peer review and like you say like i i sort of bought into flat earth got a little bit too emotional and then pulled myself back out and um i didn't want to be now that guy who tries to convince them of my new belief i I didn't want my channel just to be about flat earth all the time like it's for me it's gotten a little bit old and i don't want it to be about convincing people about what i believe either So I sort of more took a stance of, like, I wanted to go in a different direction. Like, I wanted to do something uh, sort of inventive. And I realized that telling people maybe what I think is the truth or or, uh, trying to wake them up kind of takes more energy. I just thought it would be fun instead to sort of flip that instead of trying to convince people, like, this is why you should be free. Just kind of, like, mock the whole police state and, and boss people around and... Uh, yeah, maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit more later about how uh, I came up with that idea. But um, that's sort of like the last year. I've just been trying to sort of get away from flat Earth, and like I really I really enjoy doing bylaw man. So that's sort of more the direction I want to go. Excellent, and, and excellent. Then, well, we'll talk about bylaw man in a moment. Just to refresh the listeners' memories as well, you're coming to us from Canada, from Alberta, Canada. Is that correct? Uh, British Columbia. British Columbia in Canada, where you were born and raised. Born and raised. Fantastic. So what we'll do is, let's jump into this topic of Charlottesville. And of course, this was an event that took place in August of 2017. There was the Unite the Riot rally. And some person apparently drove his car through a crowd of people, made world news. I think some people allegedly died and or got hurt. Before I say a word of my opinion on this particular event, why don't you tell us what you remember 
and what your thoughts were about the event at the time. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, with Media Fakery, I, I've uh, sort of my opinion on the last couple of years, like the last year has been, I just, uh, I don't, uh, I don't pay attention to it anymore. I try not to give my energy to, to these fake events. Like, you know, while we're busy sort of looking at uh, this false flag, studying what, uh, what they're doing, they just, they create some new reality that we go off and, and study. So I've really been trying to stay away from that. So like, I, I didn't really see anything uh, from the mainstream. I didn't really, uh, I didn't watch any like truth videos to expose it. I might've watched like one or two. I think I watched the car actually hitting the guy. But for the most part, for me, if it's real or fake, if people died or didn't, it, the end result is, is like, uh, there will be a reaction. Like something's gonna happen as a result of it. And um, so that's sort of now what I'm more, I was more um, interested in is just like, what was the reaction? And um, one of the one of the things that happened from this was an anti-immigration rally was scheduled to happen here in Vancouver. And so, yeah, so uh, I, I honestly I didn't I didn't uh, I didn't pay attention to it, but I I heard a little bit on the radio. So I didn't really have I don't really have too many visuals sort of in my mind about what happened. But I, I sort of paid attention to how it made everybody else feel. And like, I don't know if listeners know this, but Vancouver's uh like quite uh, like a liberal city where it's been open to immigration for since since the 90s. I think the 90s is when we got like our first uh, big wave that came over. Well, what we'll do is we'll talk about the immigration in a moment. The Charlottesville event, like you said, led to the protests, which is what led to bylaw man. So there's a direct relevance with all of that. But while we're talking about the event of Charlottesville, I think this is a good one in terms of a litmus test for how people view the topic of media fakery. Because as people will recall, there was footage from a couple of different angles of a car apparently plowing through a crowd of people. And as usual, the YouTube conspiracy circles were abuzz and many of them were saying that the whole thing was staged and no one died or got hurt. And, of course, the regular normie thinks that that's impossible, the TV couldn't lie about this. If it says that people died or got hurt, then people must have died or gotten hurt. How could you fake such a thing? Too many people would be involved in it. Blah, blah, blah. And my perspective on this one, Tom, was that the footage actually did look like somebody driving a car through a crowd of people. Now, that doesn't mean that anyone died or got hurt, but it did seem to me to be far more convincing than the vast majority of the nonsense that we're given at events like Boston Bombings or Sandy Hook, which are quite obviously fake, this one did seem to be a little bit more realistic. And one of the things I've noticed in some of the circles that we mix in online is that many of them are dogmatic. They dogmatically believe that no one dies, no one gets hurt, these are completely staged events. They will not let you even suggest that maybe some people did get hurt or... They're not open-minded to other possibilities. It is you're either with me or you're against me. Have you noticed this yourself, maybe not just with Charlottesville, but more broadly, online, these people who talk about these events, a lot of them can be very, very dogmatic. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it seems like it's either you think they're all staged or or they're all real. And I don't know, the. I think that's that's the whole point, is they leave these little conspiracy bits in all these, you know, like it's not beyond the 
you know, I could see someone, someone like there are crazy people out there. Like things do happen because they get, they get people so riled up. They know there's going to be an, there's so many people eventually there, they might get the reaction they want. Right. So, you know, it's possible people, people got hurt or they didn't, but they definitely real or not, they're going to use that to their advantage somehow or, or to push an agenda, which is, is usually like, so here in Vancouver, it's, you really can't be against immigration at all. Like if you're against they they don't even really want to hear your reasons. It's just, you're, it's, it's sort of the atmosphere now is you're just assumed you're like a, a, a racist, I guess, even if you, if you disagree with it, doesn't matter what your reasons are there. It's quite interesting. Well, let's move on to that one then. So obviously this is a very hot topic all throughout the white Western world because all white countries and seemingly only white countries are being flooded with mass immigration, the bulk of which appears to be from countries that are culturally and ethnically dissimilar from the new host nations. And we're seeing this in Australia. At the moment, our immigration intake is something like 230,000 people per year on a net basis. And we're a country of maybe 25 million people. So that's, that's about 1% of the population every year is being added from abroad. And what makes it worse is that we're a highly urbanized country. So most of these people are moving to one of three cities, which is adding to problems to do with congestion on the roads and real estate prices and all manner of things. And that's the Australian experience. And my understanding is that things are very similar in other countries as well. From what I've been hearing, Tom, Canada has it just about as bad as anywhere. So why don't you give us your take as a relatively young man in Canada what have you seen over the last few years in terms of, I guess, changes to demographics? Have you noticed a big difference from the immigration just with your own eyes? Yeah. Um, so my my dad, he was in the trucking industry when I was uh, like back in the 80s, 90s. It was very common for uh, guys to own their own trucks and, and operate them. And you could make you could do quite well um, just owning and operating your own truck. But uh, I think around the 90s was like our first big flood of immigrants from um, mostly, I think India mostly. And um, basically what happened is in the trucking industry, an example is uh, they would buy like, you know, they'd usually buy like a new home and they would have like the whole family living in the house. So sometimes they'd have like 10, 12 people because they look after each other. They have sort of different values. They don't just... uh, kick their old folks you know kick their parents out into like a home that they visit everybody would live in the house so it sort of made it more affordable for them and uh what happened is they they bought brand new trucks and basically just in that instance kind of wrecked the trucking industry nowadays like they undercut everybody because they like they were buying brand new vehicles that weren't breaking down like uh like my dad had an older truck so he would spend a lot of his time just fixing it repairing it and um, it basically made it so nobody owns your own truck anymore. And th- that was like the first really big wave of immigrants. And they settled in uh, Surrey, which is like one of the lo- one of the fastest growing cities, I think, in British Columbia is Surrey. It's sort of uh, located right next to Vancouver. So, yeah. And now we have Justin Trudeau uh, in charge. And he seems like we've had quite a few waves of immigrants that have come in from Syria and uh, different places. And, and, and like, you're right, 
uh, it does, it definitely clogs up the roads. Like we have one of the highest real estate prices here. Like it's a, it's pretty well impossible to, to own a house here right now. And so I think these are some things people are like a little bit concerned about is that we're letting too many immigrants in at one time. And like for me, like my big thing was not even let them in or don't let them in. It's more like, why are they coming here in the first place? Like, what's the reason they even want to leave their country? You know, it's like nobody's really talking about that. It's just, which, like, I'm totally for letting people, you know, it's like it's earth. I, I sort of do believe that you should be able to come and go freely. But uh, that sort of seems like something they want us to fear, you know, like a one world government. Like, I, I really do think you should be able to go where you want. And if maybe all these other problems weren't being caused, people wouldn't want to leave their homes. And it would just be like a natural sort of. Uh, immigration process if if uh, all that makes sense well from what I've heard in Toronto I understand that you don't live in Toronto but from what I understand from what I've heard Toronto is being flooded with Chinese Chinese people now from what I know China is not currently at war you know this uh, this war on terror didn't destroy Shanghai or uh, or Beijing the Chinese people just seem to a lot of them want to leave China and move to countries like Australia or the US or Canada. I'm not so sure there's necessarily anything wrong with a lot of the countries that people are moving from. They simply, for whatever reason, if given the opportunity, would prefer to live in a Western country. And regardless of what it is that motivates them to move, it is the case that your country and my country and the countries of probably most people who listen to this recording are being flooded with not just Chinese people, but people from all around the world. And there's very little they can do about it. And from what you were telling me before we started the official recording here, most of the people going to these protests, they will not listen to someone who is in any way anti-immigration. Is that the general sentiment among young people that you deal with on a day-to-day basis, that they just accept immigration is necessary and to say otherwise is wrong think yeah it's basically the the response you get is like um they try to like guilt you like about the children if you were being persecuted and if you lost your family or whatever wouldn't you want to come wouldn't you want to be let in sort of thing they they sort of try and like make you feel guilty like like you're responsible you know what i mean does that sort of make sense? Yeah, they're all appeals to emotion. And this is what I've noticed as well. Right from a young age in Australia, we're more or less told to feel ashamed for the color of our skin because white men did evil things to take over Australia. And so uh, we just have to accept that more people are going to come here now. And it's all very illogical and irrational and contradictory. But because they get you when you're young and they appeal to your empathy... Well, how would you feel? How would you feel? It shuts down the critical thinking. And I think a lot of the time when you see these social justice warriors or just regular people who watch too much TV who can't have a simple conversation on these topics, when you see them respond and get triggered by simple ideas, you're effectively watching someone who was traumatized as a child who is acting out in accordance with a Pavlovian conditioning type of response. They were made to feel guilty from a very young age and that's why they can't have rational conversations on these topics because there is a little trigger 
that's um, you know, there's a reaction that's in their mind that can be so easily triggered. To me, this is all very straightforward these days. Do you think there might be any truth to this notion that maybe uh, these people have just been conditioned, can't think logically anymore? Yeah, it's it is. It's all uh, it's all like emotion. It's all emotion based. Like uh, I had someone. Um, the odd time I I try not to even get in these conversations, but uh, uh, we we're I was sort of talking about this with somebody, and they said to me, um, you know, they're kind of making it seem like because because I'm against immigration, like I'm somehow racist, even though like I have black friends, I have Asian friends, and I wouldn't want to kick them out. They're they're Canadian, right? But I had. I sort of, I was sort of uh, hinting at like there's a lot of like actually reverse racism, and um, he kind of looked at me and scowled and said, uh, "As a as a straight white male, I've never been discriminated against." And I just kind of had to laugh and sort of take a step back and you know because it because I could just see him sort of getting more triggered and to give him example like you know I felt like saying to him like just. Uh, Go visit the court system as a single white dad and see how much you're discriminated against, you know? So it's just, it's kind of interesting how they'll, they don't even really listen to what you have to say. It's just like their minds are already made up about you. Well, this is what we've been trained to believe, that as white males, we are so privileged, we're so privileged we don't even understand our own privilege, which is obviously a form of discrimination right off the bat, isn't it? It's completely contradictory and George Orwell spoke about this, and you and I chatted about Orwell a little bit towards the end of Metafay about a year ago. This idea that you can have people engaged in a form of doublethink. So on the one hand, they believe that, for instance, they believe they hold these values that everyone is equal, everybody should be treated equal, but they can simultaneously, in the same breath, then argue, because of, you, because of the fact that you're a male and you have white skin, then you should be treated differently. They can, they can do both at the same time. It's classic Orwellian doublethink. And if you train a person from a young age to hold contradictory views, they will do it and they, they will shamelessly do it. And from what you've just said, it sounds like that's what the case with this person that you were speaking to. When he says that he doesn't feel that he's ever been discriminated against as a white male, it sounds like that's what's going on. He's simply uh, parroting what he's been told to parrot. Yeah, for sure. Let me read out to you an article here. This is from the Washington Post, and it's entitled, It's okay to be white signs and stickers appear on campuses and streets across the country. And it was published on November 7. And it says, and I'll quote here, Posters proclaiming it's okay to be white have been appearing on college campuses and on city streets across the country this week prompted by an anonymous chat room comment that suggested the message would feed social unrest and sway white Americans to far-right ideologies. Since Tuesday, the posters have been spotted in Rocky River, Ohio, at Concordia College in Moorhead, at Tulane University in New Orleans, at Montgomery Blair High School in Silver Spring. It just goes on and on like this. The signs began as a suggestion on the online chat space 4chan last month, a kind of internet prank laced with ennui and cynicism about race and white identity in modern-day America. A series of messages said people should print signs reading it's okay to be white, post them on college campuses and elsewhere, and then stand back and watch the fun begin. News reports would draw attention to the posters, 
the writer behind the idea predicted. Then, white Americans derisively referred to as normies in in white nationalist ecosphere will discover that American journalists and lefties hate white people. In the process, normies will stop regarding news outlets as credible. That would deal a damaging blow in the culture war, the Post said, inevitably converting more normies to the white nationalist cause, the alt-right side. It could be that easy to seed social disruption, the Post implied. End quote. That's just the intro to the article. I'll read out more in a moment. But before I do, Tom, had you heard of this It's Okay to Be White campaign? And what are your thoughts on it? No, I, I, no, I haven't heard about it. But I know it's definitely, uh, it's not okay to say you're proud to be white. <laughs> well, this isn't even saying you'll, proud. You'll, this you'll, is just saying it's okay. Yeah, you'll you. I don't know. It's weird. You can't even say like you know. I'm proud to be white. It just it. I don't know. It's it's strange. Strange times. Okay, so so I, so I had basically heard of this one. I saw this one germinating on 4chan when it was uh, you know being discussed before people started handing out the flyers. And even though this particular Washington Post article is fairly, I think, fairly neutral in their reporting, there were several places, including the Huffington Post that described this okay-to-be-white campaign as racist. They said that it was racist and even a hate crime to post these articles online. And forgive me for that ambulance just going past the uh, the house there. So this has been reported by certain outlets as being a racist hate campaign to print flyers saying in black and white letters, it's okay-to-be-white. Think about that for a moment. It's racist and a hate crime to post a piece of paper... Somewhere, like a flyer somewhere in a wall saying it's okay to be white. What does that tell you about the state of the world, the Western world, in 2017? That's not okay to be white. Exactly. I, like, I, I think it's interesting, too. I, I, were there any, um, like, reaction videos of people seeing the posters? Because I, I bet you people who are taking them down and are upset are probably mostly, like, white people, you know? That's, those are the people who get the most upset about it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's... Which is what I saw a lot at the Vancouver protest. Like, on the way to the protest, I was on the SkyTrain, and it, it was full. It was packed. There was probably 30, maybe 30 people in there, and there was three white faces. All the rest were, uh, you know, immigrants and... Or not... Well, not... not, not you know what I mean. Uh, colored. But at the rally, it was all majority white people. There were, there were hardly any like colored people there do you know what i mean i do like, we'll talk let's talk about that vancouver protest before we do i said that article from washington post was published november 7 it was uh, november 3 so i just wanted to get that one clear let's move on to the protest then so you went to the protests in august that followed the unite the right car plow event the next weekend in canada there were protests you went along and checked them out you say that at the protest it was a majority white crowd at the protest i've seen very similar things here in australia it's incredible how when it comes to issues of social justice it's well it's like australia used to be it's all white people there (laughs) and the people that they're supposedly arguing for don't seem to turn up it's incredible how this happens tell us what you saw at this vancouver protest yeah so i sort of got the idea of bylaw man just from watching the police at uh uh, there were some bylaw officers at the beach and just sort of the way they were treating people. I just thought it would be a good idea to sort of create a character that 
that uh, mocks the police state. And instead of running around trying to convince people to be free, I thought I would go around telling people how good it was to be a slave, you know, kind of like a little bit of uh, reverse psychology. And I was originally going to do my first episode at uh, the beach. I was going to follow around a couple of the bylaw officers because they, you know, they, they, they're just dressed like they're, uh, they're ready for battle. And it's, you know, it's the beach. It's not, uh, there's, there's nothing, nothing has ever happened there in, the, in our entire history. Nobody's ever been like, anyway. So, so I was originally going to go to the beach and follow these guys around and sort of just uh, job shadow them for the day. But then uh, on the way to work on Friday, I heard about a uh, Islamophobic uh, anti-immigrant protest. It was uh, had all the right uh, trigger words, all the right keywords. You know, far right racist rally. Uh, there's going to be hate groups there, and so it had all those trigger words, and uh, it kind of got me interested during the day. I'm like, you know, I should go. Uh, I should go check that out tomorrow, and. Um, so I thought I would do some research that night and just find out like who's going to be there, who are the Nazis, um, are there going to be any Nazis there? And uh, it's interesting that uh, the first thing that came up for me was there was an article called Uniformed Nazis in Downtown Vancouver Filming for the Man in High's Castle. So just at the time that these uh, protests are happening and uh, the media is sort of labeling it as uh, Islamophobic, anti-immigrant uh, protests it just so happens you know just down the street there's actual people like in uniform nazis so i just thought that was uh, sort of an interesting uh, maybe coincidence or i don't know i guess synchronicity so i kept digging and i found out there was basically going to be originally there was going to be four different groups protesting that day it was originally a speaking out against immigration so uh, there was one group called uh, the Soldiers of Odin. They were, it was um, put across as they're like a biker gang. They're uh, racist, uh, basically white supremacists. So I sort of checked into who they were, um, went to their Facebook page to see sort of what they're about. And I didn't, it was interesting looking at their Facebook page because uh, it was all what they were saying is they were more about helping people, charities. If you go on their page today, the Soldiers of Odin British Columbia chapter, they have a post about a missing girl. Uh, they have another post about uh, an Asian woman that went missing, Claudia Zhang. Uh, they have posts about cleaning up needles and a message with, uh, you know, if you guys come across any of this stuff, give us a call anytime. We'll come clean it up. So from what I could see, they didn't really come across as like uh, anti like a, a, a Nazi group, right? Another group that was going to be there was the World Coalition Against Islam. So I went to check them out, and uh, I guess the guy, one of the main... And that's what's sort of confusing, too, is not all these groups were there together. They both sort of were going there for their own reasons, and they both, they all had their own message they wanted to talk about. And it was uh, a very small number of people, too. So the World Coalition Against Islam was uh, the vice president was this guy, Jesse Walenga. So I sort of, I was reading the mainstream news articles, seeing what they were saying about him. And, and then I sort of went and looked at his Facebook page. And, you know, his page could come across as uh, like any one of the conspiracy people that mean you run, you know, the, the circles we run in, the people who, who post on their Facebook 
posts about conspiracies or fake shootings. His page was sort of along those lines. And uh, just some of the things he was saying didn't uh, seem really that racist. Like uh, in this one article, it was uh, he he perceives federal, federal immigration policy to be bringing in people that want to hurt us. He thinks racial integration is forcing white people to be exterminated through multiculturalism. Um, and then he's quoted as saying, you might say that's racist to even say that, but multiculturalism is bad for political ideology. It ghettosizes people and it makes people fight for their own kind. It doesn't matter who you are. So he didn't really come off as uh, like the Nazi racist type either. So I, to me, it seemed like they were trying to position the narrative. And the last group was the Cultural Action Party of BC. When you go through their website, they sort of have the same uh, mission statement. is It's to preserve and promote English, French, and First Nation culture, heritage, ensure British Columbians receive priority regarding affordable housing, employment, education. Like, they don't really see, like, they're not, they're not racist either. But I could sort of see the buildup to it. So, th- so these were the main groups that were that originally planned the protest and the one, the group that was organizing against it is called stand up to racism, Metro Vancouver. So, so with all those keywords that the, the mainstream news articles were using like Islamophobic, these are anti-immigrant activists. They're far right racists. They're, they're Nazis. You got Nazis in actual uniforms down the street. And then a group called stand up to racism kind of all your conclusions are sort of made for you so this prompted like a lot of people to uh well we got to get out there and shout louder than these people and they shouldn't be allowed to speak and have an opinion and uh we got to go and counter protest them right which is you know it should be about free speech but it was like the counter protest was um saying like we shouldn't hate we shouldn't uh discriminate and let people have freedom but everything they were doing was uh, the opposite of that. Like, does that make sense by uh, sort of stopping these? Because these people never even got to speak. Uh, I couldn't even find any Nazis on that day. Uh, I was looking for them all day. To I wanted to interview some of them and find out, like, uh, what is a white nationalist? Is it okay to be white? And, and what were their views? Sort of right from their mouth. But uh, they were scared off by, like, the, I think it was, like, 1,500 people that showed up mostly mostly white so basically you'd heard about this protest going ahead you thought there might be some of these neo-nazis in presence and you went to their websites or their various online platforms to see who these people were it didn't seem like they were quite as racist as perhaps they might have been portrayed you went along to the protest you didn't find any racists or neo-nazis what you did find was a few hundred, maybe a couple thousand predominantly white people there to effectively argue for mass immigration and against anybody who might be anti-immigration. That was basically what you found. Yeah. At one point in one of the speeches, because I was sort of more focused on the people, like I was trying to more pay attention to the crowd. But at one point, one speaker says uh, something about turning Vancouver into an immigration or into a uh, sanctuary city and everyone just clapped and cheered and yeah it was it was just interesting the way they shut down free speech even like yeah it was it was interesting so it it uh it took me it took me about two hours to get there because uh like i mentioned we took the sky train 
And uh, so I was dressed up in all black. Like I basically, you know, if you're the regular normie and you just saw me, you would think I was probably a Nazi if you didn't read the back of my uh, my jacket or really get to know like what I was even there for. So it was a really weird energy going to the protests because in all these people's minds, they're expecting like neo-Nazis. They're expecting like they've seen this Charlottesville uh, thing happen. They've seen like the Antifa who are who are basically violent like liberals, well-dressed well-dressed violent liberals who are, you know, getting in clashes with these supposed neo-Nazis and it just creates this image in people's minds. So, so I could, I could almost feel it on the sky train, like, cause everybody knows that this is going on downtown. Like it was a, it was a, a big deal. So, so as I got off the sky train and slowly got closer and closer to the protest, it, it was pretty nerve wracking because you never know how people are going to react to you or they're going to start shouting in your face. And, and so, so I basically just slowly built up my confidence, sort of hung out, hung out outside the protest, kind of just down the street from city hall and slowly made my way there. And, uh, yeah, I, I, once I, once I settled down and I got comfortable, it was like, I, I did, I had a lot of fun and, and I just thought I would try and try and like lighten up the mood a little bit. Like, like I, like I kept asking people like, where, like, when's the violence going to start? You know, I heard there's going to be all this hate and violence. And I've only really seen hate from, you know, people people saying, like, hate against these people who want to speak, you know, and, like, just let them talk. And if, if, the, if the media, if the news hadn't made such a big deal about these people speaking in the first place, nobody would have even paid attention. Nobody would have even known they were there. It was, it was going to be very, a very small thing to begin with, but it just blew up into this, like, you basically can't speak out against immigration or, or any of those issues. Like, you can't have an opinion, really. That's, there wasn't a lot of people there who seemed like they would speak out against it, you know? Like, it was, it was very much like, like a mob rule. Uh, you know what I mean? There were more people there to protest the anti-immigration people than there were anti-immigration people. And it was by a significant factor, is uh, basically what you're telling me. And I've seen this myself here in Australia, where the so-called counter-protesters uh, outnumber the, the so-called neo-Nazis or what have you. Let's play a little clip for... we I'll put this in, in post-production of the three-minute video that you released of your by-man character, uh, by-law man character. And again, this is like a sketch that you've been working on where you dress up mostly in black and your shtick is that you're the by-law man. Not by-law as in council rules where they can fine people for drinking, but the by-law man. And you pretend, in a way, to kind of be like an authority figure, but you're not there to fine people for drinking. You're there to... Make sure they're not having too much fun. Let's take a look at this right now. Sorry, I, I heard there were Nazis here today. Do you know where I can find some? I haven't seen it. Not one Nazi. The news said there's going to be a lot of Nazis today here, and uh, I was expecting some violence. Are there white nationalists here? I don't think so. Do you know what a white nationalist is? Because. Uh, I shouldn't be uh, I shouldn't be out here enforcing the law if I don't even know what it is. Okay, have a good day. 
I'm looking for the white supremacists because I heard there was going to be some violence today, and uh, I, heard... I guess they were around, but then took off, spread out through the crowd somewhere. Yeah, I heard it was going to be a, a civil war today, people against the people. So. So you haven't seen personally any Nazis anywhere? No. Seen any white nationalists? Uh, there was some guy who was talking some shit earlier. He got in an argument with some people and he left, though, but that's about it, though. It's been pretty clean protests? Yeah. It's all right. Do you know what a white nationalist is? Somebody pretty much just believes in white power, believes in white pride. White pride? Prowler. Do you know if they... Do you know if they want to kill Jews or not? I don't think they want to kill a bunch of people. They just they want they want their own their own way. They're not believing like white people should breed with white people, black people should breed with black people instead of it just being mixed. You know? What are you doing, Matt? Well, thank you very much, both of you. Anyway, you take it easy, man. Thanks. Yeah, for, do you mind if I use this for an interview? Is that cool? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm protesting the police state, so that's why I'm here. Cool, cool, yeah, no doubt. You're protesting who? The police state. The uh, you know conditional speech because even if like even if we disagree, you know, like if you start like not, if you if you don't like it's just like taxes, you know, it starts with a little bit of tax. And before you know it, you're paying like 60% tax. They got us all here fighting with each other. Like when the sky drink. Yeah, you know. The transport tax. Exactly. Oh, we need to raise this to better everything for everyone. Yeah. They're not using it for the sky train or the transit. They're using it to pay back Alberta for the fucking Olympic Village. Yeah, going to pay for like people tell me a lot like uh, uh, what what would we do without what would we do for the roads and things and it's like most of the gas tax doesn't even go to the roads. It goes to like abortions in Africa and killing black babies. Things, you know? How's it going, fellas? Does anybody know what time the violence is supposed to start? <laughs> well, I've seen a few. Actually, the sign. I heard it was. Uh, I heard it was four o'clock. Well, maybe it was three thirty. Do you know where the white supremacists are? They've all been like kind of banded like randomly everywhere, like they're hard to. Yeah, and the. Uh, oh, no, thank Yeah, yes, thanks. Yeah, no, get educated, man. Yeah. My memo from headquarters said there was going to be some uh, violence and some white supremacists today, but so far I haven't been able to find any. There's also white nationalists here. Probably. Have you guys seen any white nationalists? Have you brought your sword? Absolutely. Because, uh. I'm going to tell you guys a little secret. The government, we have planned uh, divide and conquer for everybody. So this is all going swimmingly according to plan. Now we have conditional speech in place. I think this is a bit more uniting than divisive. Uh, well, that, uh, that goes against what we were hoping for then. Against what? Violence. We're hoping for a clash of civilization. There's still time. Bring in more tax. All right, well, 
you guys know what a white nationalist is anyway? I don't even really know. Well, then I knew we had our medical team, so we were Okay. Okay, thanks guys. Appreciate it. Keep the protest mean and dirty. You guys with the white supremacists? No. Uh, no, we're one of the Are same looking for them? I'm looking for them. I'm, well, I've been on. We're wondering if that's them. Apparently, they were going to uh, mobilize at 4 o'clock. So. They, they didn't really seem to answer my questions. I was trying to figure out what is a white nationalist first. <laughs> okay. Because it's a little bit confusing. Headquarters told us there were going to be neo Nazis here, yeah. which I think they want to kill Jews, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. White that's nationalists. One of the things, yeah. What are they, what are they about? Uh, we're anti Islamic, for right. one, but uh, immigration in general. But. Like they just they want to kill them? What's, I, your, what's your take? What's your take? I'm um, here to make sure divide and conquer goes off just as we planned. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, we've had some major tax increases lately, so we need, uh, we need a show for the people, distract them get them mad about something that is really a non-issue, you know? And then we can just keep bombing countries, bringing them in, rinse and repeat. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And then eventually, uh, when everyone's fighting with each other, we'll bring in the UN troops Yeah. for martial law. Okay. Things Buying have changed. Conquer is a real problem. Yeah. Okay, we'll keep it mean, keep it dirty out there, boys. <laughs> I heard the violence was supposed to start at uh, 3 o'clock. Well, yeah, that's definitely not happening. So, Nothing's happened yet. Um, I don't know. I heard the government could stage something or uh, could be something real. I don't know. You never know these days. You expecting a false flag? Yeah. Okay. Could be. Could be a false flag here today. Could be Could be performed by us. But. I like the Wonder Woman shirt. Who's us? Thank you. Is that Wonder Woman? <laughs> That's Wonder Woman. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks, guys. No problem. So that was a couple of clips from the one-hour video. You've got the three-minute I guess highlight reel and what I just played were some clips from the one hour longer play version and uh, you also uploaded a video showing you putting together your costume there for the bylaw man character basically spray painting a life jacket black and uh, you had your little what looked like a plastic sword as well one of the clips showed the so-called real police if you like walking past you and uh, they seem to be in good spirits how did you go with the, the law enforcement officers, the official officers of the Crown? Did they give you any problems? How did that all play out? It was, uh, it was actually better than I thought. I was expecting them to look... I was expecting, like... Because just like me, I heard uh, the, the narrative that was being played, so I sort of was expecting some riot police. But um, it's interesting, too, like, depending on... Everyone has a different experience there, like at that protest like i had a great experience but if you watch some of the other footage of things that went on there like it was getting quite heated and i never saw any of that for me my own personal experience like everyone was pretty good there was uh, a couple cops uh who were a little bit grouchy uh, a couple of them wouldn't talk to me but i did get a couple smiles out of their uh yeah, because it was really funny. I, I was walking up this hill, and I saw this, like, kind of like one of these normal, normie, uh, liberal-type guys with his kid. And I thought it was a girl. And I thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to find out if uh, this guy, you know, to kind of kind of tell this guy he's got to put his kid on a leash. So, And I, I seriously thought she was a girl. And I went up to the guy, and I'm like, uh, is, this, uh, your, is this your girl? And he's like, it's a boy. <laughs> You know, and I was like, well, does she uh, does she have the chip? 
you know, so I was sort of doing stuff like that with people and he's, uh, you know, kind of told me no. And I let him know that, uh, you know, in all open spaces, your, uh, your kid needs to have the, uh, the leash and the chip. <laughs> and, uh, right after that, I think someone around that area, there's this one woman who was just like giving me attitude. And I think someone went and complained to the cops because my next interaction, they kind of mentioned like, Hey, are you telling people you're police? And I was like, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, do I look like, do I look like I'm a cop? Like, no, I'm not. Like, like, <laughs> so, so, so I basically went around the whole area, talked to everybody, talked to as many people as I can, r- tried to talk to as many cops as I can. And it was only at the very end they decided to search me, which I, I thought that was interesting because they, they wanted to check out my foam sword. And like, there's people walking around with uh, wooden signs that are like pitchforks. But yet they're like they're frisking me, and yeah, it was just uh, so. So that's really the only negative experience it, I had. But if it makes but, you feel any better, for the G20 protest or the G20 event that was held in Brisbane in late 2014, I was the only person at the protest. There weren't really protests; there were just crowds of people to watch the uh, you know the statesmen of other countries, right? And there was a big line of people who wanted to see Obama's procession, you know, his uh, entourage of 10 or 12 vehicles, whatever it was. They weren't really yep. protests. And I was the only person in the crowd with a placard of any type whatsoever. And I got searched seven or eight times on that one day. And I didn't see a single other person get searched. And each of the police, each of the groups of police who did the searching were pleasant enough. They weren't um, abusive or overly physical or anything but just the simple idea that oh i'm the one guy with a placard so i'm the one guy who could be a problem it was amusing to me especially when you think well if i wanted to bomb suppose i had a bomb in my backpack right because in fact i had all of my recording equipment i was recording footage for the the arp i used to do a podcast and we were covering the event on the friday saturday sunday if i had it but suppose in my bag was not recording equipment it was a bomb Right or some kind of uh, some kind of violent <laughs> utensil. <laughs> Why would I carry around a placard and a draw attention to myself? <laughs> you see what I mean? It's yeah. just insane. But um, but they were okay for the most part. The police. So so yeah. So you had your your protest. You went along as a bylaw man. You had fun for the most part. You were telling me before we began recording that it was some of the most fun that you've ever had. One of the things that I liked about seeing your videos when you uploaded them was that you were having fun. You took some things that were lying around the house. You created a a costume for yourself, a character. You got into character. You went to the protest. You recorded footage. You had fun mixing with the people. It's a creative outlet to do this kind of thing. You shared it with the world through YouTube. This is all terrific stuff, and you derived benefit from doing it, which is in complete contrast to most of the people on YouTube who seem to just want to focus on the negatives and complain and do nothing. Can you tell us, is this sort of how you felt on the way home, that this was a good use of your time? Yeah, for sure. Like, I've been looking for a way to, to, to like, make a difference for a while. And, and I've, I do feel like going to a protest and joining the mob, it doesn't work. You, you can, uh, it's so easy for whatever your idea is to be, like, spun around back on you, or there could be, like, you know, whatever, infiltrators, or they could make you look, they just make you look bad and at the end of the day it just helps them get uh, more budget for their military their police and 
so I've, but I have been wanting to find a way to be like sort of an activist, you know, and, and try to get people at least like maybe a few intelligent people there, their minds thinking in a different way than when they showed up and just sort of try and change the atmosphere too. And just by, you know, like people get tired of being told that things are wrong, you know? So I just thought, you know, maybe I'll advance the agenda. Like imagine in my mind what it could be like in 10 years and I'll enforce those laws. It, but, it, but yeah, it's definitely interesting. The only, the only group that I found at the protest that was even closely resembled, uh, I thought they were Nazis at the time or, or like the anti-immigration people when I was walking up to them. But I think they were actually Antifa. And you would have, I don't know if you saw this group of characters, JLB, but you would have loved it. It was like, if I was going to cast a movie of uh, like the Ninja Turtles and I needed a Foot Clan, this is who I would have cast in my movie. You know, like they just look like rich white kids. They had all like the uh, expensive bling. Like it, it, it looks like they spent thousands of dollars to look the way they did. But it seemed like they were the 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 Antifa group, and it, yeah, it, like they had the bandanas and everything, and it's just that w- if I was gonna hire like some people to cause trouble or I don't know, they just they look like CIA members of the CIA. I don't really get uh, too conspiratorial, but they just they just had this weird like moot like I don't know. Did did you see that part where uh, uh, it was sort of towards the end? Yeah, I saw that part, and it reminds me that in the Charlottesville video, with the car ploughing into the crowd, apparently ploughing into the crowd and killing and or hurting people, that the moment the car had finished running over people, there were people in bandanas with baseball bats smashing in the back of the car, (laughs) which leads you to one double, hold on, this was supposedly a counter-protest group, so these are the people who were against Unite the Right. So these are people who were for immigration or multiculturalism or these sorts of things. These are the progressive people. These are the good guys, right? So how yeah. come there's so many of them with bandanas and baseball bats? Uh, uh, ba- yeah, bandanas, baseball bats, and black gear. Like you, you couldn't even tell the Nazis. You like if the if like suppose there were Nazis there. If they stood beside these guys, I would think they were all one big group. I I didn't realize till I was watching the video after i seen the girl's sign when i walk up i'm like hey what's up fellas and it's funny because the girl responds to me she's like oh hey but her sign says something about uh, good night white pride and after it clicked it's like oh those must have been like those antifa guys with the bandanas and the bats and like they just looked that uh, they just looked like they're straight out of a comic book especially uh the two like what looked like the leader like this one guy with like this uh she looked like she was like from russia or something like just had a uh, like a stone cold face like just staring like just felt like she was burning like burning my soul you know like her eyes were just uh it was uh yeah it was interesting sounds like it well what we we have to move on we've got a lot of things to talk about so i guess just recapping you, uh, you knew the protest was coming. You'd heard a lot about the racists or the Nazis who'd be there. From what you could gather online, it didn't seem like these people were particularly racist or Nazi-ish. You go along, you don't really see any Nazis. You do see some aggressive, violent-looking people, but they're the, the leftists or the progressives or however they want to describe themselves. You have a bit of fun. You get dressed up. You go along as the bylaw man. 
and you do release a three-minute video with the highlights and some uh, Eye of the Tiger music over the background, and then the one-hour video as well, which includes your interactions with people. I'll link to all of that in the show notes for this podcast. If we can draw a line under this one, anything else you want to add before we move on to the next topic? No, no, I think that's it. Uh, I'll, uh, I might uh, do another episode this winter, I don't know, um, but uh, definitely next summer I'm going to get out to the beach and... If, uh, if you're out in the Cultus Lake area, make sure your kid's on a leash. So that concludes part one of this two-part presentation. And in part two, we start talking about the history hoax, the war hoax, and even get a little bit philosophical, start discussing what is going on in this world and what are the clues, if any, that are being left for us that indicate that maybe, just maybe, the truth is right in front of us if only we take the time to see it. So you can check that out on johnlebon.com. I'm releasing that at the moment only to full members of the website. I might release it to part members in the future. So if you're listening to this beyond 2017, there's a chance that it might be available for you. So you can go and check it out. But at the moment, it is only being released to full members of the website. Speaking of which, I do have to thank them for the support. It's only because of their support that I'm able to do all of the things that I do with the website. As you can probably imagine, a lot of time goes into this, and even just editing this particular podcast took me several hours of sitting in front of a computer and editing, editing, editing. It takes a lot of time, and the reason I've got so much time to do this is because running this website is now effectively a part-time job for me. And at this point in time, December 2017, the following people are the ones who are making it possible. So if you enjoyed this podcast, then you really should be thanking the following people in alphabetical order. As of December 14, 2017, thank you to each and every one of you. Alistair Kane, Alpha X Omega, Archer, BM Seattle, Bruno214, Big Dave, Chad628, CM, DB User, Dante from New York, DJ Mo1987, Fung, G Malicious, Hando, Harry L, H Dog, J Sog, Jimmy Scowler, Jumpy64, Clink 39, Nate M, Local Chump, Mass, Mezzi, Negan Tropic, PJG, Rebel, Shirt Ninja, Silver Tree, Stanson, STS1316, The Prophet 49, They Are Laughing at Us, Taiki Limited, Tom Foolery, and What's Up Sport. Can you believe I got through that in one take? That was a one take take. I'm very happy with that. What's that now? 30, 35 people? More and more people are starting to see the value of what's being done here, and they're supporting it. And I think that is sensational. So if you're interested in learning more about what you get in return for the price of one cup of coffee per week, head along to johnthebond.com and check that out. And if you are a member already, remember, there's a part two. So go and check that out right now. Tom and I discuss history hoax, war hoax, so many things. I think you'll love it. But for the rest of you, this concludes the chat. And I do recommend you go and check out the work of Tom Fullery of the International Space Station. He's doing terrific stuff link in the show notes go and take a look i'm sure you'll enjoy it and as a little taste of what you can expect if you do move on to part two i'll finish right now by playing a few short clips from part two john the bond on the 14th of december 2017 and until next time you guys take care of yourselves because again this is not a matter of opinion this is the official story if you look into the codex Sinaiticus, they will tell you yes well he was at a monastery and they were burning papyrus and so he kept some, and it turned out to be the Bible. The Codex Botanicus, well, they didn't let anyone see it, because it's a very important text. It is the foundation of the Bible. But in the 1840s, they let people see it, you know, including, like you said, Tischendorf. 
our mate Constantine Tischendorf. You know, and then when I say that Frederick Kenyon, the keeper of the books at the Oxford Library, stated a hundred years ago, hundred almost hundred and twenty years ago, that the two books were written by the same scribe. That's not a matter of my opinion. That's literally what he wrote in a book that no one knows about. So, so it's like. So how does he know they were both written by the same person? Did he? Um... Yeah, well, he compared the two, and he didn't just state that they were written by the same scribe. He said that all learned scholars know this. Like, I don't have the text in front of me right now, but his words are to the effect of, well, they were written by the same scribe, and all learned scholars know this. Like, almost being condescending to people who would suggest otherwise. Yeah. And again, this is a guy who promotes the official story. This was not a skeptic or a critic. This was a guy who promotes it. And then if you look further, it'll be like, well, they can't. They can't really base the Bible off just a couple of books, can they? Well, not quite. They've got other codices as well. Like, if you look through the stories of the codices, these other codices, like the Codex Aleppo, they also have very dubious stories, and they also involve recent discoveries. And then you'll hear people, relatively recent, we're talking the last hundred, couple hundred years, and then you'll hear people say, oh, what about the Dead Sea Scrolls? You know, don't they prove the veracity of the Bible? And it's like, yeah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, what are we talking now? We're talking the 1900s now. We're talking like the 1940s or the 1950s. And if you look into the official story of the Dead Sea Scrolls, same thing. Somebody happened to just find these scrolls in a cave somewhere and they sold them at a market. These are the official stories of these sources. And you don't need to be the most skeptical person to start to wonder how legitimate is this notion that the Bible is 2,000 years old. How legitimate is this notion? A lot of questions. Yeah, and that's Uh, just to do with the Bible. And you start looking at other things like ancient Egypt. The official story with ancient Egypt is that it was discovered by the French in the very late 1700s and then throughout the 1800s. That's when Egyptology became a thing. So even according to official history, ancient Egypt, there was no such thing until basically a couple hundred years ago. And then you look into, well, how do they know what was written? Like, how can they translate the glyphs, the hieroglyphs? Oh, well, we discovered this thing called the Rosetta Stone. And the Rosetta Stone, this big rock, this big black rock with text on it, they, whoever wrote that Rosetta Stone, they wrote it in both Egyptian or Coptic and in ancient Greek. And we can translate ancient Greek because they use the exact same lettering system, the exact same written text, as modern Greek. So, hey, isn't this convenient? We've, got, <laughs> we've, we've found this big black rock that's going to convert all of this uh, text for us. And, I mean, when I say it like this, people should assume that I'm making this up. This can't possibly be the official story of the Rosetta Stone. This can't, it can't possibly be the, the case that they discovered ancient Egypt in the last couple hundred years. You know, this, this has to be made up. But if people take the time to look into this, they'll see, holy, ho- like, my God, this is the real story, Tom. This is the real story here. Yeah, no, it's hard to imagine because the first thing you think is like, well, um, like I was reading in your article, someone mentioned, uh, well, what about the Colosseum or uh, what about the pyramids? And, you know, it's uh, you've given people like a really good place to 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 start. Like you're I don't, not many other people out there at the front of this. You know? Well, there's no one. And I truly feel like this is entirely uncharted territory, Tom. There's no one else doing this. There's no one else that I'm aware of that's even tried to do this. 
it seems like I mean I'll give you an example even people I know who don't believe the Bible is true they don't believe it to be a literal case of um, of history you know to them it's just a fabrication they don't believe in Jesus these kind of things even these people will still tell me the Bible must be a couple thousand years old and it's like hold on so you you don't believe it's real but you believe it must be a couple thousand years old and it's like yeah of course they've never questioned it they've never questioned it and we just take the world that we grew up in as being normal so you and I and everyone listening to this podcast right now have grown up in a time where the Bible it might be real it might not be real but it's thousands of years old so even if the Bible was unheard of up until the 1840s there's been plenty of time for it to become something that is well known around the world and has an accepted history of a couple thousand years. Who's questioning this stuff? Who's going to doubt it? Nobody. People just accept things as they are. And so, the average person believes that human history goes back thousands of years, many thousands of years, and that the Bible has been here for a couple thousand years. Or that ancient Egypt was here three, four thousand years ago. Or that the ancient Greeks were around a couple thousand years. They just accept it. They never question it. Why would they ever question it? Those uh, those papyri too. Um, I don't know if I saw an actual picture of it, but if I did, it looked uh, like it. It was it. It seemed like a le- like a legitimate website. It was like the Codex Satinicus website, like dedicated to the book. And they had a picture of it flipped open, and it, it uh, looks in remarkable condition for what a thousand year old book uh, dumped in, you know, put in the dump. It, it looks like it's in pretty good shape. You, you would, think they look like know. they're in good shape? You should go and check out what was discovered in the tombs, like Tutankhamun, or you could, different people pronounce this word differently. Tutankhamun, Tutankhamun, this great pharaoh, this great child pharaoh. Look at what was found in his tomb, or the tombs around his, right? This is like ancient Egypt. These great discoverers, these great Egyptologists who discovered these tombs, look at what they found inside of these tombs, like chests of drawers and all these other things. It looks like, to me, someone has just been to a local flea market, bought a whole <laughs> bunch of crap, and then said, look what we found in this old ancient tomb. That's what it looks like to me. Cause it's like storage their, wars. Their, their, story is, <laughs> their story is that this is thousands of years old, this stuff. It's obvious to me, Tom, at this point, it's obvious to me that this is all make-believe. It's like a giant, it's like a giant joke. It's like a giant prank.